I'm Elena. And welcome to Haunted Honeys. <laughs> the podcast where a married couple teaches each other about spooky things in the past. Yeah, it is our only holiday tradition. <laughs> yeah, because I can't talk about the sound of music every Thanksgiving. <laughs> as much as you might as want As much to. as I want to. <laughs> so, darling. Where are we going to be terrified of this year? The world. I'm already there. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, we we are going to make uh, one of our listeners very happy. They they asked us to do an episode about Indiana. And I said, you know what? Why not go find some spookums in Indiana? All right. So we are, we are going to be talking about... Scary things in Indiana. <laughs> Eerie Indiana. Ooh. That was a good show. I like that show. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't find any stories about like weird twins and Tupperware though. <laughs> they like <laughs> kept them alive for years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I did not find that. So we're gonna be tackling a few different uh topics of, of various spooky places yeah. and death and Hoosier ghosts. So first up we have uh, Diana of the Dunes. Dirty Diana. Well, Sandy Diana. Yeah. Yeah. Very Sandy. This story is uh, centered in the Dunes State Park. Okay. Uh, National Lakeshore. National. Uh, yes. It's there's like State Park and National Lakeshore. Ah. Yes. The story mm-hmm. is that there is a ghost that haunts the shores, <gasps> who is often seen swimming in the lake, Ooh. or lying in the sand, or walking in the woods. And it's You don't often hear about ghosts swimming. Well, there were stories, like, with the Eastland disaster area, that people would, like, hear someone calling for help in the water, and they jump in, and then no one was there. Mm-hmm. But, like, just leisurely swimming. Like, yeah. actually, like, enjoying... This ghost is enjoying their day. Not a lot of ghosts have hobbies. I think... Good for you, Diana. Yeah. 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 Uh, so this, uh, story originates, uh, from a real person. Oh. Uh, there was a lady named Alice Mabel Gray, (laughs) who lived from 1881 to 1925. I just want to point out, none of those names are Diana. No, they're not. They're not. Her name is not Diana. Uh, she was a graduate of University of Chicago and really, like, bright in mathematics and languages and from a well-off family. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, in 1915, she moved to the shores of Lake Michigan, uh, in what is now the Indiana Dunes State Park. Uh, and she lived there in, like, a 10 by 20 foot cabin, uh, that she called Driftwood. And she became, like, pretty much a a recluse, just living there, doing her thing. Mm -hmm. Founding the tiny home movement. Yes. She's a trendsetter. Yes. People have different opinions about why she moved. Some think it's because she was in a broken romance. Uh, Some say it was because she had, like, deteriorating eyesight. Oh. She didn't like the city. Uh, But the main idea was that Mm -hmm. she wanted uh, to get away from city life. She didn't like it. Uh, She wanted the freedom, freedom that couldn't be found in the city, to to work creatively how she wanted, to just live how she wanted. Mm -hmm. To not have neighbors. To not have neighbors. So she was known to often walk the beaches and skinny dip in the lake. Hey. Uh, and she became a fascination with a lot of local, f- <laughs> local fishermen and yeah, locals because they'd be like, oh, look, skinny dipping lady. Uh, so she was nicknamed 
Diana of the Dunes, uh, apparently, like, in connection to the Greek goddess, because, like, naked ladies swimming in the water, woo, beautiful. <laughs> Though, like... Look at her do math. To be honest, the f- there, are, 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 there are pictures of her mm-hmm. that exist, and not to, like, be a jerk, but I don't think she's that, like... She's kind of an odd-looking lady. <laughs> Darling... <laughs> Sailors thought manatees were hot babes. They did. Can, can they did. Just... There's, there's that. She was naked. That's automatically goddess. <laughs> yes, let's do this. So in 1920, um, Paul Wilson moved into the cabin with her. He was an unemployed boat builder and what? suspected murderer. But where in uh, the cabin? Well, the she got, she got that, cabin. that ten by ten, and he got that ten by ten. <laughs> <laughs> they drew a chalk line down the middle. Well, they were like, they snuggled <laughs> stuff. She snuggled with this suspected murderer mm-hmm. uh, who, you know, was never convicted because it was, they couldn't prove it. Um, but there was like a bloody body found very close to where they lived and they suspected him. Getting away with crimes was so easy back then. Yeah. Um, so they had two daughters together. I guess they did snuggle. Uh, but in 1925, shortly after she gave birth to her second daughter, she died of uremic poisoning. Ah. And what some say was complicated by abuse she suffered from Wilson. But she was cremated and her ashes were scattered across the dunes. Obviously, like, the story of, of first off, her being the latest women in the water. Mm-hmm. And then this ghost story came out of it. But I think the real interesting thing here is that, like, this lady just lived in a cabin on a dune yeah. in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> That's Diana of the Dunes, swimming naked lady. Not a very religious woman. No. Jesus said specifically, do not build your house upon the sand. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe if you go climb a dune, you might see a naked lady. Well, you say that, but it would be a ghost. Mm-hmm. So I'm not really into that. No, you're not into the ghost, ghost boobies? what's next dear what's next okay so we're going to talk about a couple cemeteries um some real estate some some cemeteries and like the the stories that go with them uh so the first cemetery we're going to talk about is the hundred steps cemetery it takes forever to kick your alcoholism (laughs) in the hundred steps program is in Brazil, Indiana. It is a rural cemetery that's actually called a Carpenter Cemetery uh, that dates back to the 1860s. Now, I tried to find, like, actual info. Like, I'm like, okay, get it. There's this, like, spooky urban legend, but Mm -hmm. I want to know about this cemetery. I could not find anything. Like, you look up Carpenter Cemetery, and they're like, Carpenter Cemetery, 100 Step Cemetery. Here's the ghost story. Yeah. Like, even on, like, Google Maps, it's listed as the Hundred Steps Cemetery and not Carpenter Cemetery. <laughs> and what if you just have a loved one and, and that passes away in the neighborhood? What are you supposed to do? They don't bury people in, there anymore. That's the one thing I do know. It's very, like, rural, not used, mm-hmm. old, kind of forgotten cemetery. Ah, the um, most haunted kind. From stuff I was seeing, it's it's been vandalized a lot. Yeah. recently or within the past few years it's not it's not in good shape uh but the cemetery is known for having this this long set of concrete steps built into the hill that it's on uh-huh. and the story goes that if you you count 
every stair and make it to the top at midnight. A ghost of an undertaker who died on the mm-hmm. site will appear and show you a vision of your death. And go 30 years undefeated at WrestleMania. If you fail to count the same number of steps on the way down, it will come true, this vision. Oh. Uh, so you, but- you see your death... And then by completing the ceremony, you, you avoid that death. Yes, if you count the Unless same number. Unless you do it wrong. Well, it's like, this could be how you could die, but is it is your fate sealed or are you going to change your fate? Ooh. Ooh. Ah. Better count the stairs, right? <laughs> uh, and if you try to avoid the stairs, they say that a ghost will come and, like, push you down like a jerk. Uh, so there's the one-size-fits-all vision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, like, no, you can't avoid this. We're going to just shove you. That's the 100 Step Cemetery. All right. Don't no, go there. Don't go there. It seems like a very risky gamble. Don't it take it. It does. Like, apparently you have to do the steps, and if you don't, you're just going to get beat up by ghosts. And it's like, <laughs> why even bother? Well, what if you get the vision of your death, and you're like, yeah, that's a pretty good way to go, and you intentionally miscount the stairs on the way, like, yes, locked in, good death. Maybe the ghosts would know and they'd be mad that yeah, you, like... they gamed the system. Yeah. Like, counted the cards and they'll be like, <laughs> that's not how you're going to die. We're going to change it now. Ghosts, you can't trust them. Can't. So then we have the Step Cemetery. Not the Hundred Step Cemetery. No, just Steps with two Ps. Oh. Yeah. This uh, cemetery is north of Bloomington, uh, Indiana, in the uh, Morgan Monroe State Forest Preserve. So what I've learned is Indiana public land, very spooky. Very spooky, yeah. Okay. Well, this forest preserve is uh, like 24,000 acres, and it's the second largest in Indiana. And I believe, if I remember reading it right, I think it has a few cemeteries within it. Um, Something like, of that size, yeah. Like, it has several. But this, this cemetery is like the smallest. It only has 32 graves. <laughs> uh, and it opened in the early 1800s. Well, back then it was very fashionable to just not die. Yeah. 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 The cemetery. People go crazy with this one. People are, <laughs> they just twist and turn these tales and it's like, what's the truth, you guys? What's the spooky truth? Any Indiana listeners, go tell us the spooky truth. Yeah. We want some original research. <laughs> so it says that the lady in black, so there's mm-hmm. always a lady in black. You think it's the same one from last year's episode? <laughs> Maybe. All right. Uh, she she guards a tree stump within the cemetery. <laughs> now, why is up for debate? Okay. She's the ghost of the Lorax. Oh. <laughs> so some say her husband died in a dynamite explosion. Oh. And then, sadly, uh, her daughter died as a young adult uh, in an auto accident. It was buried next to her father there. So... Mom would, like, go and visit and sit on the tree stump. And then when she died, she haunted the tree stump. Now, others say that the head of the girl was never found in the car accident. And so she haunts this tree stump and is often seen holding a, like, bloody head of her daughter that she went and found in the afterlife. (laughs) Ta-da! I found it! But we're ghosts, so I can't actually dig, and I can't put it in your grave. Can somebody get me a ghost shovel? (laughs) And then some say that the daughter was murdered and dumped in the cemetery, and the lady holds, like, vigil there. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then the story gets even, like, more 
who knows what's going on. Because they say that the lady, instead of having a daughter, lost a young son in infancy. Oh. And then she was eventually killed herself on the stump, which sits next to her child's grave. Uh And she was killed by, like, lightning. Was sitting on the stump. Uh, That's not how lightning works. I find that unlikely. And then anyone who uh, sits on the stump will live less than a year because her kid was, like, a year when he died. Oh. Yeah. Here's the thing that's interesting, though, is, you know, people say, oh, that's the stump. It's not the stump. That stump's, like, not old enough to be the stump. (laughs) (laughs) The original stump is, like, disintegrated and rotten and is gone, and now Mm -hmm. there's, like, different tree stumps. People try to be like, that's the stump. Don't sit on it. We gotta preserve our historical stumps. I mean, I guess the ghost could have moved to a different a different stump. Mm. Like, you know, she she got kicked out of her mm. original stump. She moved to a different stump. I'm founding uh, the National Society for the Preservation of Ghost Stumps. Yeah, yeah. In order to prevent this sort of tragedy from happening again. Yeah, that makes that makes sense. That makes sense. There is a child buried in the cemetery uh, named Lester. Little little baby Lester. Some say that, like, Lester's her child, but Lester was a stillborn baby that died in 1937. It wasn't hers. <laughs> but people still go and, like, leave stuff at baby Lester's grave and, like, mm-hmm. try to appease the ghost. Why doesn't anybody say this lady was just hung on the tree that left a stump? That, that's too easy. I'm doing your work for that's you. That's too simple. And you can tell this, this tragic tale that ends in an unjust hanging. Yeah. Yeah. It's too simple. I guess. It's too simple. Uh, what, I, what I found out in my uh, trying to find Indiana Spookums is, first off, I didn't know how good we have it here in Chicago with the amount of crazy, like, paranormal investigator websites we have about this city an actual like history about everything competing ghost tours (laughs) it is hard to find actual history around these ghost stories in indiana i'm gonna say second they really like their stories about women losing their children and haunting (laughs) something (laughs) there's like 12 different bridges that are like have this story attached to it oh dear either it's a woman that like died in a car crash and her baby died too or like people thought she was a ghost or, or she not a ghost people thought she was a witch and trying to like escape with her baby and then died on the bridge from a mob so careful and uh, <laughs> always use a child seat that's properly fitted yes and properly secured yes drive carefully in the rain now it wouldn't be an indian or a spookums episode without talking about a creepy statue in a cemetery I guess that's true. Because we did that a lot last time. It's the second annual. We decide right here yeah. what the traditions are. Okay. So in the Springdale Cemetery in Madison, Indiana, which was uh, built in, or established in 1839, the the most notable monument and is often put on like spookums statues in the state type thing. I'm, I'm glad we've popularized the word spookums. Spookums! <laughs> so that other bodies are, are using that. Yes. So there is a large Italian marble statue of a female figure with its arms like upstretched yes. to the sky. Signaling touchdown! And it was uh, sculpted by George Gray Bernard, 
Uh, his family had moved to the area, his father was a minister, and once his parents died, the statue was placed next to their graves, and is titled okay. Let There Be Light. So he made a statue for his parents' graves? Yes. Okay. Very, like, oh, that's nice. Like, mm-hmm. no- nothing, no tragedy there, they just died of old age, like, nothing yeah. crazy. Well, some say the statue, uh, on Easter morning, the eyes will bleed. Uh-huh. Um, others say that if you kiss the statue's feet, it will chase you. <laughs> I don't know why suddenly the statue is very demonic. Who's the first person to discover that? Like, who's, let me kiss the statue's feet? Who's the guy that loves kissing statue feet? And then one day it went so horribly wrong. Like, is that like a known thing in like haunted statue that you like kiss the feet and it might do something and you just like test it out well you got to make sure it's got fresh batteries <laughs> one interesting story in addition to this the cemetery is that um there's a story that the the area is prone to flooding mm-hmm. and there was a flood in the 70s and uh there was a claim that some of the coffins washed out of their graves ah. and ended up in a creek uh, and so then, we've, we've got uh, ghosts that like to swim. Uh-huh. We've got dead bodies that love to go canoeing. Uh-huh. And we got statue feet kissers. Well, yeah, the 100 yard dash. Yeah. Up the 100 stair cemetery. Yeah. So they were like recovered, but apparently they didn't know where they went. Which coffin was to which empty Yeah, grave. like you don't mark the coffin. Like you don't put like plot. 37 on it or something well you do now (laughs) that's one lesson learned so i assume that this place is now more haunted because you've disturbed the peaceful rest of people and now you don't know where they go but who's the ghost gonna blame like they're they're just gonna haunt the local news station (laughs) the doppler radar has ghosts in it now that's not how it works (laughs) i don't know i don't i don't pretend to know the facts about ghosts I just bring you the stories of the people. That's our new tag on. We don't pretend to know the facts about the ghosts. Yeah. We just bring you the stories of the people. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so now uh, we're going to talk about the Slippery Noodle Inn. <laughs> I mostly decided to talk about this because it's called the Slippery Noodle. All the jokes that are coming to mind belong on our other show, and I don't know if, <laughs> if their uh, history honey is appropriate. Yeah. Yeah. This place wasn't originally called the Slippery Noodle, and it was uh, built in 1850. It is Indiana's oldest continually operated bar in its original building. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, it was originally in a roadhouse and bar, often owned by people of German descent. You could get your spitzel there? Yeah. Okay. It was uh, called the Concordia House, and it was uh, named after the first German Lutheran immigrant immigrant ship to land in the u.s apparently oh well there you go later it was changed to the germania house um until the start of world war one and then they decided "Mm." what's the most uh english name we could have instead moore's beer tavern (laughs) uh and then it was renamed to moore's restaurant during prohibition Mm -hmm. uh though it did continue to operate as a speakeasy uh, in the basement. In 1963, it is when it finally became the Slippery Noodle Inn. The 60s. It was a wild time. 
So over the years, the inn part of it has had um, quite a history. Apparently, it was connected to the Underground Railroad for a while. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was also a bordello for quite a while. Um, It stopped being that when someone was killed. Oh, ooh. Uh, They were, like, fighting over a woman, and then they, like, shot each other. During Prohibition, it's claimed that the Brady and Dillinger gangs would hang out in the back of the building. And, uh, like... (laughs) use some of it for target practice and like shoot at the walls smoke during third period yeah yeah for a while there was also like a butcher shop in the basement (laughs) and a whole bunch of other things one thing that is cool is like the the tin ceilings within the building um that are still there date all the way back to like 1890 and uh the oak bar within it is over 100 years old uh, and it's currently the most prominent blues venue in the area. Yeah, that, that Indiana blues scene. They got it. They got it. They got it. Uh, so, as for the spookums connected to this, because this place is apparently like one of the most haunted places. It makes the most haunted places list. Uh-huh. Uh, I think it's the ghosts want to haunt it because it's called the Slippery Noodle, and they're like, oh, yeah, <laughs> this is great. What a whimsical juxtaposition. <laughs> yeah. Yay. Uh, so it's said that there's an older man named, uh, George, who, uh, is sometimes seen that he used to do odd jobs around the bar and, mm-hmm. and continues to haunt the place. It said that, um, several of the ladies of the night. Vampires. Yes. Yes. The vampire ladies. Mm-hmm. The, uh, that they are still around specifically in the upstairs area, uh, including, um, the girl whose fault fought over uh, during the time that it was... During the murder. Yeah, that murder. Because they were <laughs> fighting over her. And so she's still there. Though she wasn't the one who died. It's just like her spirit can't like leave. Mm. Yes, because she feels guilty or something. Because we always have to blame the women, don't we, we? We do. And so they've like condemned her soul to this place. Because mm-hmm. we gotta blame her. Though like she didn't pull the gun. Other right. two doofuses did. And then there's also the shadow man. <laughs> It's it's a human shadow that appears when no one is around. Well, if no one is around, who sees it? Well, I mean, like, when no one, like, else is around. Like, you're there, and it's not your shadow, but there's a shadow. All right, that's creepy. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Does it do shadow puppets? Then it wouldn't be creepy. <laughs> they could be creepy shadow so puppets. So that would actually be really cool if, like, you're like, oh, man. There's a shadow. It's not my shadow. It's really spooky. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And then it's like, look, it's a bird! <laughs> look, it's a dinosaur. I like your shadow puppets. Yeah. yeah. This, this, I don't know how this would be a dinosaur. We'd have to shine a light oh, oh, to this find would, out. This would actually be a good dinosaur, because you got the mouth and then the little, the little T-Rex arms. Yeah. Yeah. So we're getting to a lot of stuff actually in Indianapolis now. All right. All right we've got a few, few Indianapolis places. The least supernatural city in America. That's what I've heard. Really? Yeah. Oh. That's why they hold Gen Con there, because it's the only place they can hold all those arcane energies and not accidentally summon Cthulhu. The Rivoli Theater in Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was built in 1927 by Henry Ziegler Dietz. Uh, it was a single-screen movie theater uh, mm-hmm. built for Universal Pictures, and it's said to be the first theater in Indiana to show movies with sound. Ooh, exciting. Which is pretty cool. Now, is there any relation between Henry Ziegler Dietz and Lydia Dietz of Beetlejuice? Probably not. Okay. But what if, though? <laughs> uh, it was sold in 1937 and continued to operate until 1982. 
Uh, in addition to movies, it hosted concerts. It said that the acoustics in this place are, like, phenomenal. Um, well, if you're going to be the first to have sound, you got to do your sound right. Yeah. Put your best foot forward. Uh, and it sat vacant until 2007 when it was acquired for the Rivoli Center for the Performing Arts. Uh, and they have been renovating it. Um, they're actually in the process of, like, renovating it now. It's not Ooh, open. Oh, so, like... That's a long renovation. Yeah. They're, well, I went to look at their website and they literally, like posted just a few months ago about like the roof or something and there's like nothing else on it so i guess like if you're interested in old theaters and renovation and you live mm-hmm. in the area check it out maybe you can support them it's pretty cool that they're, yeah, they're yeah. trying to save this place so of course like all things not only do we think this is buried or built on a indian burial ground because it's america everything is well yeah it's what happens when you, you commit genocide and, yeah. and, and build your nation on the bones of it? Yes. Yeah. Uh, apparently the family that lived there, that first built on top of the Indian burial ground, uh, also put their own uh, family burial plot on their family farm. Uh-huh. Which is where this theater sits. All kinds of graves down there. Yes. It's claimed to be very haunted. <laughs> and that there are things running when they shouldn't and, and they... Things and people appearing and objects moving, uh, cigarettes appearing in ashtrays, uh, lots of stories of like past employees like going to open mm-hmm. and there'd like be people inside or like stories where like they'd send customers in like, oh, the first one's here, go pick your seats and be like, well, we're not the first people here. There are these other people in oh. there and be like, what are you talking about? And it'd be like a Victorian couple. <laughs> Just, like, sitting in seats or something. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe more ghost stories will come once this place is, like, up and going again. Maybe, maybe. I like that Victorian ghosts get to see movies. Yeah. Because they didn't have that opportunity when they were alive. Yeah. That's, yeah. Why, that's why there's so many of them around in theaters, is they're like, hey, I heard about these cool things you guys are doing. Is and- this a Star Wars? <sighs> hmm. <laughs> I've been really wanting to see that. <laughs> heard so many things about it is this rent i hear that's the thing the young people are into ghosts are decidedly behind the times yes yeah it's not hamilton <laughs> we haven't heard about hamilton yet but rent yeah yeah we have another theater in uh indianapolis it's the indiana theater which was built as a ballroom in Movie Palace in 1927. Ooh. It's six stories, and the basement had a bowling alley and billiards. (laughs) Were they allowed to bowl during the show? That would be awful. (laughs) I don't know. The billiards are loud enough, but a bowling alley? (laughs) Well, the other floors were offices, and then the theater space, which was a 3,200-seat auditorium. And then there was the roof top ballroom mm-hmm. the highest floor now at some point the theater was modified to show cinerama movies too mm-hmm. in 1979 to 1980 the theater was renovated and remodeled by the indiana repertory theater which was taking it over mm-hmm. and they actually split uh split the house in half and the balcony uh became a second theater <laughs> which is like very odd yeah. Um, cool, but like a lot of people are like very upset because like you just changed this like 
crazy theater. And, but, and it doesn't seat 3,200 anymore. No, this haunting's funny because, you know, this place dates back really far. 90 and, years or so. And you'd think, like, okay, there'd be some ghosts attached to that. The main haunted ghosty story uh-huh. is that a former artistic director uh, used to like to jog a lot. Well, when it was, like, rainy and gross out, he would jog around, like, the mezzanine. <laughs> uh, and one day, though, he was out, like, jogging outside, and it was kind of foggy, but it wasn't too bad, and he was hit by a car and died. And it said that his ghost haunts the mezzanine still, as he just, like, jogs around the mezzanine. <laughs> Imagine jogging through eternity. <laughs> like, you keep trying to check your heart rate, and, oh, nope, zero. It's not there. It's not there. Yeah. You're a ghost. You don't gotta worry about exercise. Can ghosts get muscles? No. Okay. I don't. I think you're kind of stuck. However, it is you die. Ghosts can't or get fat. Or at some then. point in your life, like I don't think you can be something you weren't in your life. That means Slimer looked like that. That's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're going off of like Ghostbusters or Casper. <laughs> Uh, another Indianapolis uh, spookums is the Hannah House. I've heard of that. Yes. Uh, Worse uh, wrote to us not that long ago about the Hannah House being oh, their favorite yeah. historical house. And that it used to have haunted houses in it. Which it makes sense that it would. It makes sense that it would. Because of the actual ghosts. Yes. You can save a lot on your budget for fake ghosts when you have actual, actual ghosts. ghosts. So it was built in 1858. It was the home of Alexander Hanna, a prominent uh, figure in the community. He was a farmer, sheriff, postmaster, uh, along with other things. The house was a stop uh, on the Underground Railroad. Ooh. So, uh, as I said, it was made uh, constructed in 1858. Uh, 14 years later, uh, he married his wife, Elizabeth, and they made some additions to the house. Um, from what it originally was. Uh, so in 1895, he died, and the house sat alone for four years. And in 1899, Roman Oler bought it, and it's still owned by his descendants. The Oler family. Yes. So the the haunting. Uh, so when the house was operating as an underground railroad, uh, there's a story that, well, there were people hiding in it unfortunately an oil lamp fell over and a fire broke out through the basement and it killed everyone in there oh no now it said that hannah had buried the remains in the basement because he couldn't do anything else because otherwise it would give away that he was participating in the underground railroad uh which you don't want to (laughs) broadcast it's not underground anymore yeah. You've gone mainstream. You're a sellout. It's the sellout railroad. Uh, so it's believed that the spirits of those trying to escape slavery are trapped in the basement of this mm-hmm. house because that is they, where they- They never received a proper burial. Yes. And they never got to where they were going. So it's said to be very, very haunted. <laughs> we have one last story. Ooh. And this, this is uh, it's a little different. This isn't, this isn't about a place- it's about a person. Ah. Yes. So we're starting and ending with very personal stories. Yeah. So we're How naked is this one? Not. Okay. We're going to talk about Belle Sorensen Gunnis. She's a serial killer. 
Oh. Uh, and sometimes she's referred to as the Lady Bluebeard, the Laporte Black Widow, the Mistress of Murder Farm, or Hell's Bell. Now, she was born on November 11th, 1859. Is, oh, God, this name. Paul Dadder Strasseth? Cool. I think, it's very Norwegian. I don't know. And she was born in Norway. She was the youngest of eight children, and she was declared dead April 28th, 1908. And the whole world said, fine. <laughs> because of the whole serial killer thing. We'll get to it. Uh, <laughs> you said it right up top. She's a serial killer. No, I mean, like, people didn't know she was for a long time. Okay. It took a while for things to come out. I mean, by the time she was declared dead, like, people knew, but <laughs> we'll get there. Her origin story, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, though there's not, like, a lot to verify it, but it said that in, uh, like, 1877, uh, when in Norway she was pregnant and attended a dance uh, where a man attacked her and kicked her in the stomach and she ended up having a miscarriage. Oh. Um, and because he was from a rich family, he was never prosecuted, uh, though he died very shortly after. Mm. Uh, and this experience left her very changed. In 1878, she took service at a wealthy farm uh, where she worked for several years to save money to immigrate to the United States. And in 1881, she did. Now, in 1884, she married her first husband in Chicago. And they opened a store, uh, which did not do very well, and then mysteriously burned down, and they were able to collect the insurance money on it. Well, that's what it's for. <laughs> now, some originally said that she didn't have any children with this marriage, um, but some records and, like, census information that was found uh, showed that she had four. That's a big uh, difference. Yeah. Zero children, four children. Four children. Who can keep track in this and crazy mixed up world? Caroline, Axel, Myrtle, and Lucy. Two of them died in inf infancy of acute colitis, uh, which symptoms pretty much match many forms of poisoning. Uh, and both of these children were insured and the insurance paid out. Now, I don't like this implication. <laughs> That just because somebody is, is planning ahead for the worst necessarily means they're an arsonist baby killer. Yeah, well, on July 30th, 1900, uh, her first husband died right when two life insurance policies for him overlapped. Now, one doctor... Who Why is it? Why is it the only time I hear about insurance policies in the 1800s is connected to mysterious death? See, back then, I feel like if you were taking out insurance policies, you were planning to commit murder. If I was a detective in the 1800s, I would set up shop inside an insurance office. Like, you're, every single person in here is a suspect. I'm like, I'm watching you. I'm watching you, I'm watching you, I'm watching you. The first doctor that, like, saw him thought that he was suffering from strychnine poisoning, which is a pesticide. But his regular doctor uh, had been treating him for an enlarged heart and said the cause of death was heart-related. He just loved too much. Bell applied for the insurance money on the day of his funeral. It paid out. Uh, relatives of her husband suspected foul play and put in an inquest with the insurance and to investigate this. Uh, but it doesn't seem like that ever happened. <laughs> um, so she got $8,500 
paid out to her, which is about $250,000 now. A yeah. quarter of a million dollars. Mm-hmm. And with this, she moved to LaPorte, Indiana in 1901. Uh, in addition to like those children, it said that she um, had a foster child, too, that was living with her. With five life insurance policies. <laughs> so in 1902, she married her second hun- husband, uh, Peter Gunnis. And a week later, his infant daughter died of unknown causes. Peter also had a tragic accident at the end of the year when uh, he was accidentally scalded by brine in the kitchen and then a part of a sausage grinding machine fell on his head. Oh, oh. Uh, she got another three to four thousand dollars from this uh, from insurance and locals were really suspicious of this because they're like, he wasn't that clumsy. <laughs> He always kept his sausage grinder on the lowest <laughs> shelf, just in case. Well, he was like a, he was a butcher. Mm-hmm. And that's part of why they were so suspicious, because they're like, he was very, like, sure on his hand. He knew his way around the kitchen. He knew his way around, like... He never brined himself before. Yeah. He got brined, but he got brained. So the coroner reviewed the case and thought it was murder. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but Bell uh, convinced investigators that she had no part in it. It's that dang sausage machine always headed in for my husband. I know. She was actually pregnant at the time, oh. but never, like, said. <laughs> and she totally could have, like, used that for, like, sympathy of, like, mm-hmm. the whole investigation, but didn't. In 1903, she gave birth to her son, Philip. But then in 1906, her uh, foster daughter, Jenny Olson, who I mentioned. Jenny uh, O'Sausage, it all comes together. <laughs> she w- just suddenly apparently went off to college. Mm-hmm. Um, At the age of nine. <laughs> yeah, she just, just went off to college in California. And people were like, oh, that's, that's strange. Okay. She wasn't talking about this. <laughs> um, now, around that time, she started advertising... Uh, herself in newspapers in the personals in large city papers so like mm, chicago she's gonna get a city boy yeah so first to arrive was john mo he arrived with a thousand dollars to pay off her mortgage and disappeared a week later then george anderson arrived and he said if they were to marry he, she, he would pay off her mortgage and he woke up that first night to her standing over his bed <laughs> and he screamed uh-huh and ran from the house as he says that he just saw like pure evil in her her face and was worried about being murdered and he didn't even take his stuff <laughs> like and never tried to come back for his stuff he just left it how desperate are these men <laughs> what was she saying in this personal ad that's making these guys take up roots from the city and and travel with huge sums of money i mean i read it it was basically like looking for a partner and someone to share life with and who's interested in farming blah blah blah. and they're all like sex that's me i am very interested in farming yeah i will plow your field uh so many many more men came (laughs) and with this she began ordering very large trunks honey i love you forever who are the five guys out on the porch Uh, Yeah, but so large trunks started arriving Uh often, uh, and she continued in her ways. Now, in 1908, she fired her hired hand, uh, Ray Lampshire. He had been working for her for several years. He was... He knew too much. I mean, he did know. He (laughs) did know. Uh, He was in love with her, though, and he was very jealous of all the other men that would come by. 
So after firing him, she convinced the local police that he was not right in the head, that um, he posed a threat to her family and she wasn't safe. And he was just like off his rocker. Mm-hmm. Around this time, family a family member of one of the missing men uh, started inquiring about his brother and whereabouts, and uh, she was getting kind of nervous. So she told a lawyer that she feared for her life due to Ray threatening her. Bah, bah, bah. And she made a will, paid off her mortgage, but did not go to the police about anything. So on April in April 1908, her new hired hand woke up to smoke in the house. <gasps> And it was completely on fire, and he screamed for the family to get out, but no one answered, and he leapt from his second-story bedroom window and raced to town for help. By the time they got back, the house was completely destroyed. Eventually, inside, they found four bodies, one of a woman with no head, and then the bodies of her children. Oh. The sheriff had somehow heard of Ray's threats, and they arrested him. Mm-hmm. Suspicion. It's also said that he was like seen like running from the area. Mm-hmm. Um, well, because this town is crazy pants. Yeah. So they realized though that the body was not of Belle because it was Sebastian <laughs> the whole time. Yeah. The body that they found was about with, with a head attached would have been about five foot three uh-huh. and one hundred and fifty pounds. Now Belle was over five eight. And about 200 pounds. Mm-hmm. She, was, she was known for being a very broad and strong, like, muscular lady. Well, she was hauling grown men's body parts around in trunks all yeah. day. Yeah, she was. They also, like, double-checked the measurements uh, with the place where she, had, like, bought her clothes. Mm-hmm. Um, and confirmed that, like, this doesn't match up. And the body was tested and it contained lethal doses of... Beheading. A lethal dose of beheading. (laughs) Lethal doses of pesticides. Uh. (laughs) So then, though, Belle's dentist came forward and was like, well, if we can find any teeth uh, that would have belonged, you know, to the head, I can figure out if it's her or not. I don't know. I think we pretty conclusively demonstrated. (laughs) Right? Well, so they sifted through stuff, and then they found a piece of bridge work that the dentist said that he did, and that it must be her, because it was his work. Now, shortly after this, the man who was starting to get curious about where his brother was Mm -hmm. um, came to visit, or came to town, and told the sheriff that he believed foul play was going on. (laughs) So after this, Joe Maxim came forward. Uh, now he is the one, he often brought uh, loads of dirt to the farm mm-hmm. for uh, her. Also, cl- the, the local judge remembered that he uh, issued 15 marriage decrees <laughs> in the last two years. So she claimed she wanted to make like the ground level in certain areas of her farm. Uh, and he's like, yeah, she was always talking about this area, like, out by where her pit, like, her pig area. Mm -hmm. And so they began to dig, and they unearthed, uh, the body of Jenny Olson, the foster child. Oh. Uh, two unidentified- She was studying soil conservation. Really, really Mm hands-on. The two unidentified children, the brother that went missing, and then more and more- and more. Now, the exact amount of bodies found on the farm is unknown because of like... They lost count. Well, 
because of the way they were like buried because of the way they were digging stuff up it's unknown like hard to tell how many bodies there actually were just count the skulls and estimate come on so there were definitely 12 um Mm -hmm. but it's believed she was connected to 25 to 40 deaths Ray, her old hired hand, was arrested at the end of May and tried for murder and arson. Everything stood on the body not being hers. Right. That, uh, that would be the question. The teeth that were found were a turning point and uh, like saying that, like, yes, it is her. But local doctors replicated the conditions of the fire and found that the real teeth would have crumbled in the heat. Uh-huh. The porcelain would have pocketed and pitted and the gold would have melted a bit. And that's not what they found, like, in the rubble. Right. Uh, It's believed that perhaps the dentist planted it there himself. Now, Ray was found guilty of arson, but was acquitted of the murder. Uh, He was sentenced to 20 years, but died of TB the following year. And the dentist went on to be dead person number 51. (laughs) So, in 1910, uh, Reverend E.A. Scheele uh, said that Ray confessed on his deathbed that he did not kill her, but did help (laughs) her. He also confessed while he was alive. But he did confess that he helped her bury her victims. Oh. Uh, And also talked more about her, that she would bring them into her home and make them comfortable you know, feed them and charm them and then drug their coffee and split open their head with a meat chopper or chloroform them in their sleep. Depends on how much laundry she has to do that week. Yeah. She would also uh, sometimes dissect the bodies, which are skills she learned when being a butcher's wife. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And uh, sometimes she would bundle the remains and bury them on the ground. Sometimes she would put them into, what's it called, like quick quicklime? Yeah. Yeah, like quicklime and stuff like that. Uh, it just depended on how she was feeling. <laughs> uh, he said, Variety is the spice of murder, I guess. So the headless corpse was a woman from Chicago that she lured there to be a housekeeper. Uh, she drugged her, bashed her in, and decapitated her, and then threw the head into the swamp with weights attached. Uh, she chloroformed her children. He was, like helped her and was supposed to wait for her by the road and they were going to like leave together but she did not leave the way that she said she was going to mm. uh which was why he was like seen along the road in the yeah, area yeah yeah he believes that she killed 42 men and that she got between 1000 to 32000 dollars for each of them <laughs> now for decades there were sightings of her across yeah, the US I bet. Uh, for 20 years, it's said that at least two reports a month would come in that someone said they spotted her. In 1931, a woman in L.A. Uh, who was known for poisoning people was said people thought it would be her. Mm-hmm. Now, it was never proven, and sh- this woman died while awaiting trial. Now, the body, the headless body, is buried next to uh, Belle's first husband, <laughs> In uh, Forest Park, Illinois. I wonder if they have any fun <laughs> chats. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, in 2007, the headless body was exhumed with the hopes of gathering DNA, enough DNA, um, mm-hmm. because they had found a sealed envelope uh, on the farm. And so there was hopes that they could match it. But unfortunately, the envelope didn't actually end up having enough DNA. <laughs> That's kind of a long shot. Yeah. Uh, in addition to all this, uh, there's also stories that she 
ran like a baby farm in Chicago, which is like a, a, mm-hmm. a foster. Yeah, it's like system. a puppy farm, but for babies. Yeah. Uh, where 21 babies mysteriously disappeared, but they don't know if they were sold or murdered. <laughs> I guess I know which one I hope. <laughs> you hope they were sold. I, I, yeah. It's, it's not it's, good, but it's better. Yeah. Uh, so that, that is the story of, uh, Belle, the, the serial killer. <laughs> and there's no, like, specific, like, ghost story attached to that, but there's a lot of dead people, so you know. There's something there that wasn't there before. A uh, head. A head <laughs> in the swamp. Yeah. Yeah. It's true, and a bit alarming. So yeah, that's, uh, that's our Indiana Spookums. Uh, well, I'm never going to that state. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Is that what you learned? That's what I learned. That's what you learned. Not going. You can't make me. No. Sometimes we have to, like, ride through it on a train. No, we're going the long way around from now on. So, like, Wisconsin to Upper Peninsula, Michigan? Yes. All the way down to Kentucky? Either way. Across the lake? Take a boat. Take a boat. Okay. So, I I guess with that, we'll be back with some mail? We'll be back with some mail. Okay. Right for the <laughs> And we've got some letters to read. Thank mm-hmm. you very much for sending them in. We're going to start with Peter. Our prompt for this episode was we wanted to hear some more of your scary stories. Yeah. Peter sent in two that aren't so much ghost-related as they are gruesome history. Yeah. Uh, the first, the tale of Georgi Dosa, a Hungarian rebel in uh, the 14-1500s who was executed by being sat naked on a red-hot iron throne and crowned with a red-hot iron crown while still alive, and his flesh was torn off with red-hot pliers, and his surviving followers were forced to eat it. Oh, boy. Ta-da! <laughs> he also brings up one uh, that's connected to our Anabaptist episode. Mm-hmm. The leaders of the Munster Rebellion were torn apart by heated pinchers as well for about an hour or so. Uh, so thanks, Peter. I feel a little sick. Thanks for writing. <laughs> James sent us in. This is an alien prompt. But a uh, spooky but one. But a spooky one. So it goes It goes for both. It's a twofer. They are uh, told us about the Kelly Hopkinsville goblin incident. Back in 1955, five adults and seven children went to the Hopkinsville police station claiming to have seen aliens and had been shooting at them. Now, police were like, hmm, maybe people shouldn't be shooting at stuff, so we should probably investigate this so they stop. And that was the beginning of the end of humanity. <laughs> so, uh, about... They came offering peace. About 20 different types of police and deputies and stuff went, and they found nothing except holes from guns <laughs> <laughs> made in doors and windows. Now, the families claimed that what they saw were... Figures that were two to four feet big with large pointed ears, claw-like hands, glowing yellow eyes, and spider spiny legs. So, very much the idea of, like, a goblin. <laughs> but they didn't find anything. And the families claim that, like, they came back again and then they all, like, left their property. But most people agree that what they saw was actually great horned owls. And yeah. not goblins. It's always a big owl or the sandhill crane. That's, yeah. a, that's a good one. 
Thanks very much, James. Yeah, thanks, James. Tennessee writes in, uh, for the first time in a long time, uh, to say that their favorite alien is Cassander Timaeus Berenice of House Pelagios, embodiment of Apokine, third of their line, also known as Mr. Real Estate. Cassander is played by Art Martinez Tebel in uh, the Friends at the Table's Counterweight season, my favorite mecha anime, and perhaps yours. <laughs> I love that show. Thanks, Tennessee. Uh, but Tennessee is also an alumnus of Kenyon College, which is so haunted, they have their own ghost tours around campus. Yeah! <laughs> Uh, one of the most haunted colleges in the country. Uh, so thanks very much, Tennessee. Uh, Verse sent us an email. Brought up again the Hannah house, which they mentioned before. Mm -hmm. uh, but also the original house they lived in as a kid, uh, which had a really creepy basement with an enclosed room and no outside door handle. <laughs> uh, it's a, a place they never went into much as a kid. Um, and all that was in there was a chair. Well, that's not weird at all. Sometimes that's all you need. <laughs> Why Ooh. did your family just have a chair in there? <laughs> you either need more or less furniture. That's yeah. the worst amount. Yeah, that just seems like a little torture room. Hopefully this episode made you happy because you were hoping for some Indiana love. You've got a bunch of it. Thanks, yeah. Verse. Frightful Gamer <laughs> sent us uh, an email thanking us for our Roswell episode and also bringing us some spooky stories from their home city of Dundee. Their city is known for the White Lady, uh, which is named after the Victorian dress that they supposedly wear. Oh, um, it's better than all the ladies in red. Yeah. Or, or black. Or black, yeah. Uh, the There are several white ladies, though, uh, across... <laughs> Their city. Uh, there <laughs> yeah, is... there probably are. <laughs> <laughs> Not... <laughs> you... Ladies in white. Okay. Uh, a woman at Balgay Park's uh, bridge is said to be reading a letter in tears before throwing herself off the bridge with a piercing scream. Supposedly, she is the ghost of either Janet Fenton, who jumped to her death in 1889 and died instantly, or Christina Fraser, who jumped in 19... 11 and succumbed to her injuries four days later. The second lady in white famous ghost is at Coffin Mill, a former jute mill on Brook Street that was shaped particularly like a giant coffin. Hmm. Reportedly, a mill girl uh, became trapped in a loom when her hair got tangled inside and was crushed to death. Oh. death. So her spirit is seen walking across the metal bridge connecting the two mill buildings. In September 1945, uh, some local newspapers even had a story about crowds of people who watched the ghost walk across this bridge before police came to break it up. <laughs> uh, those are very good. Thank you, Frightful Gamer. Thank you. Scott writes in. Scott found us very recently. Thank you very much for enjoying the show. Uh, and wants to share a couple ideas for future episodes. Scott visited the grounds of West Point, and while the the history of that site itself would make a, an interesting episode, Scott also argues for following the life of Benedict Arnold, mm. a, a person with high name recognition, but nobody really knows. I mean, not nobody, but you, the average person. It's, 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 no one knows much beyond that, yeah. like, typically. He, he did a thing, but, like, the details, the whys and wherefores. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you very much for those suggestions, Scott. 
David writes in as well with a few prompts to catch up on. Favorite historical building is not a house, but uh, the Taruna Shot Tower. Uh, Shot towers were towers where they had melted lead in the top and a trough of water in the bottom, and they would just drip out lead that would form into perfect uh, spheres for use in shot. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's pretty cool. If you like climbing a million stairs (laughs) to get to where the works are up top. Uh, David's favorite alien, Superman. That's an overlooked alien. Not in my heart. Not in your heart. And uh, David's favorite spooky story is one very close to home. In fact, within their home. The first thing uh, their family heard was footsteps, heavy and uneven, stomping and lurching across the floor with no feet to make them. Then the store started rattling and thumping like some creature with no understanding was trying to force its way through a lock. And then it would stop. And they, the family tried to rationalize the noises. It's the wind. It's It's possums on the roof. It's something like that. And then... The screaming began, loud, vicious, angry screams that no human could ever make. No living human, that is. So screaming and thumping, rattling, getting louder and louder to a fever pitch until they discovered the creatures in the walls. (gasps) Squirrels? (laughs) It was a nesting mother quoll whose litter had had grown up and, and grown beyond the pouch and were trying to, you know... Deal with being adolescent little creatures in a tight space uh, that that had come into the walls from an unlocked cat door that David's family's cat couldn't really figure out itself too well. So that's a wonderful story. Thank you, David. Uh, And our last email comes from Paul Line, who has been uh, listening since the show started, but is writing in for the first time. This is also another personal ghost or spooky story. Uh, One night when Pauline was in their early teens, they woke up unable to move and it felt like they couldn't breathe and they felt a presence near them and heard a woman's voice whisper, help me, in their ear. Uh, Then they regained control of their body a few seconds later and was absolutely terrified to go back to sleep. At the time, Pauline didn't know uh, what sleep paralysis was, so was very convinced that it was a ghost trying to contact them the next few nights pauline tried to call the ghost again but the ghost never came back oh it's too bad <laughs> i think it's pretty good <laughs> i don't want that ghost i don't know life. if you're trying to call it like it means you want to talk to it well that sounds like a foolish want to me yeah. pauline you count yourself lucky you made it out alive well thank you for writing thank in. you very much yeah uh so many uh cases of all sorts of visitations throughout the years are believed to be cases of sleep paralysis. Yeah. And what they're identified as really depends on cultural context. So um. nowadays we're talking like ghosts and alien abductions. Mm-hmm. But in past generations, past centuries, a lot of like... Witches. Witches. Fairy stories uh, yeah. and religious experiences. A saint came to me. And, yeah. And I was struck and I could not move. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you all very, very much. Thank you. Uh, If you would like to send us a letter to be read on the air, whether it's a prompt, a show suggestion, just a story you'd like to share, where can those go, dear? Those can go to historyhoneyspodcast at gmail.com. 
And speaking of prompts, I don't have one. You don't have one? I know what the next topic is going to be, but it's one that doesn't lend itself to share your favorite blank. But I'm sure you'll find something worth sharing. And again, if you do, that's historyhoneyspodcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Yes, you can also get in touch with us on social media. We are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and all those are at History Honeys. You can also follow our adorable dog on Instagram at Moki underscore the dog. She's been getting a little fussy during the end of this recording session. Another wonderful thing you could do that we really appreciate is giving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, wherever we're found. Since Scott used the phrase stumbled upon, that might be how Scott found us. Yeah. Help people like Scott by by getting us up in some of those algorithms. Mm Mm-hmm. And you can also uh, tell a friend. You know, it's trick-or-treating time. There's a lot of parents that are going to be following their children around. Mm-hmm. Let them know. Be like, hey, when the kids go to bed tonight, here's something you can listen to. Yeah. Check out the history, honeys. Something to put on in the car while they're driving three miles an hour watching their kids go from door to door. Yeah. Exactly. It could be like my dad was, the creepy guy in the full-size van just following children through a neighborhood that they don't belong to. (laughs) How did no one call the cops on my family? But yes, word of mouth is a powerful tool, and we do appreciate it very, very much. (laughs) Speaking of spooky stories, uh, that Ink Shares contest uh, for uh, pre-ordering horror novels is still on, which means you can still help our good friend Mark Soloff. Mm -hmm. uh, by pre-ordering uh, The Silent Scream of Melania Trump. Yeah. Uh, he's just outside the top three. Top three win. Oh, we can do it. That is awesome. Mm-hmm. We are also back with our other podcast, Sex Archie. Yeah. Uh, the first two episodes went really well. Yeah. So this is a wonderful time to come join us there. You don't have to watch the show. You can watch the show. It doesn't matter, but you can come listen to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got a new segment we just debuted where we uh, digest the digest. We read a classic old Archie strip and then uh, Riverdale fire. Riverdale it up. Yeah, yeah. We, we adapt it to uh, the show's uh, aesthetic. Yeah, it's yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'm Grant and I'm Lena, and history's better with, with your honey. honey.